Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 327, and today we'll be talking about the Puddle and the King episodes of Summer Camp Island. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So, uh, we continue with more Summer Camp Island. No song numbers in these episodes, though, but a much, much happier batch this time, I think. No, no tragic backstories and an exploration of love that, you know, we sort of discussed in the last batch of four episodes that Susie and Ramona's relationship went into what looked almost like romantic territory and just how deep their relationship was. But now we're in explicitly romantic territory uh, with the King and Puddle. And I think that this sort of supports the ideas I was having last time. And I actually went back and was reading some Julia Potts interview when she was talking about sort of the pilot and then transitioning to the actual show where they used to have Hedgehog being crushed on. Yeah, that love triangle. Right. And then they kind of decided, no, we can do a story where the lead characters are just friends. And so, like we said, that's sort of also Susie and Ramona's path, but we get stuff that I haven't seen before in kids' cartoons here, as far as, especially in the first episode, how the King and Puddle talk about their attraction to each other. And so often in kids' cartoons, if we experience a character's attraction, it's purely in terms of, it's usually either unrequited or it's, you know, at a distance. They're not actually together. So I think Helga's long soliloquies and Hey Arnold or Timmy Turner you know, (laughs) big heart's eyes, and, you know, it's very visual for Trixie Tang, but you don't actually see a relationship where they just both like each other, or they're both married, and they express things to each other that a romantic couple would. You you get that in, you know, Reunited in Steven Universe when we finally have Ruby and Sapphire's wedding, but Ruby and Sapphire are, they're very lovey-dovey, they can be gooey to each other besides all their conflict, but the Puddle and King experience these like little relationship moments they experience you know being on the bridge and the king realizes that he's attracted to learning new things about his partner i just found that really sweet and surprisingly new so you know there's my rant on that we were talking about adventure time last week what with all of the retconning that they were doing and this one got me back with the adventure time of the characters explicitly stating their feelings and the scenes seemed random but like i like it (laughs) right like it comes out of nowhere that they're on a bridge and also they still throw in jokes because puddles asking oh are you crying because it looked like i got rope bits in my eye (laughs) is that why you're crying and king's like no (laughs) it's because i'm attracted to you and it's just great and the scenes (laughs) the scenes are just spliced together in an interesting way also speaking of adventure time i tried researching i i was looking at the background art again and thinking surely there is some shared dna or some shared people between the the background artists in adventure time and in summer camp island but i have yet to to find any link two of the Hmm. artists i found are just exclusively background artists for summer camp island so it's amazing how many parallels there are. And even Julia Potts herself worked on like season nine and 10 of Adventure Time, but not what I think of as like the more core Adventure Time earlier seasons, seasons three and four. So it's just funny how how much they share <laughs> compared to any other show on Cartoon Network. 
I mean, Adventure Time's kind of a kind of a big deal at Cartoon Network. If you're gonna take some inspiration, Adventure Time would be a pretty good place to go. Well, I think for people who were fans of the style, like S- Steven Universe gave you a story that developed in a similar way, as far as that slow burn that then ramps into something interesting, but then also still includes a bunch of, you know, quote-unquote filler episodes later. There's, like, that kind of shared DNA, but Summer Camp Island is just so much more... It, it feels like a continuation of the vision, except much cuter. And, it, I mean, it's definitely its own thing, but, you know, we're getting... I mean, heck, just look at what the show's centered around. It's centered around a, a friendship, a duo. And I also found it great that these three episodes are not quite about <laughs> Puddle and the King, even though that's how it's titled. Well, it uh, it all comes together about them at the end there. Right, but it does feature a lot of Hedgehog and an Oscar. Oh yeah, I liked Hedgehog being completely aware of her friendship with Oscar and, you know, just him ruining everything is just the price of admission. <laughs> that was so brutal that she described basically... Oscar himself at the price of admission. Like, Oscar, you (laughs) are just so inherently foolish. (laughs) And Oscar, man, he took it like a champ. I mean, he held it down as the, what did he call himself? The, was he the secretary? Thick-skinned prime minister. The prime minister, that's that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. And I I love how she, yeah, she knows that he's not taking it well, so she apologizes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I those like very real moments. We've talked about how the dialogue in the show is very forthright sometimes. And this was just really an expansion on the whole hedgehog's peanut butter jelly sandwich <laughs> scene. Yeah. But this time, Oscar doesn't prove himself a changed man at all because he had, <laughs> he, you know, after scratching <laughs> his crayon pencil against that, uh, that poor animal, it turns out he had film in his pocket the whole time. I'm going to assume that he didn't know that was there, though. Or do you think that he did and he was just looking for an opportunity to do a rubbing drawing? Yeah, we have the interpretation of Oscar as chaotic neutral, genuinely forgetting, or Oscar chaotic evil, hiding (laughs) the film in his pocket so that he can cause some chaos. There is a part of me that thinks that he knew there was film there and he was looking for the opportunity because of how silly he is. He, quote-unquote, went to the bathroom as soon as the king started showing his waterfall slides. So, I mean, again, he maybe he couldn't hold it. Maybe he just decided it was time. Again, look Neutral at Neutral or evil. Look at the peanut butter jelly incident. It was very clear to Hedgehog that the only destiny of, of, <laughs> of Oscar's body's trajectory was uh, into that sandwich. And Oscar seemed to realize that he was clumsy and would land in the sandwich. But he wanted to do what he wanted to do. I think he might have done what he wanted to do. Again, it's very Kung Fu Panda. They they met their destiny on the path they took to avoid it. Very <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. So, I mean, the we have to... I think I want to get to the ending of this really quick. We, we end up with a huge cliffhanger. What happened to Jonathan? <laughs> okay, so that's like... If there's three relationships examined, I think very minorly, it's it's Susie and Jonathan thrown in at the end. I don't know why we had to... I mean, Jonathan's super into her. As a, as a follow-up to the Susie and Ramona arc, it is very depressing that we see Susie trying to fill not just a role for friendship, but a, a role for romance in her life. Um, I'm I'm not sure... 
the weird part of the joke is that she is committed to it not being like a weird thing. <laughs> like, you know, she does it's she Susie, she does what she wants. I so here's here's what I th- this is my interpretation. She genuinely thinks that she has pulled off Jonathan looking like a living breathing person. So when she's talking about Jonathan to Susie and Hedgehog, she expects that they believe he's real when it's <laughs> not. I mean, clearly he's not. And no one thinks that. But I, th- I don't think she was just, it wasn't as a joke. Like, he's completely serious, and she probably thought she was pulling the ruse. But I just like how unsaid it is. And uh, it's, it's great. You say that Jonathan isn't real, and she just thinks she's pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. But if he's not real, then why did he get up and leave? Mm-hmm. I know. I should remember Bubble Buddy more often. <laughs> never, never, never underestimate the... <laughs> The personhood of inanimate friends. So what you're saying is that he saw the sugar to salt conversion and he thought things were getting a little weird around there. <laughs> right, and floated off. You know, by the way, that episode of SpongeBob was so great, there is apparently a sequel. I don't think I've ever watched the sequel, but uh, it blew my mind that there was a sequel, like that any episode had a continuation in SpongeBob. Yeah, Bubble Buddy, uh, knowing SpongeBob as well as he does, sends his son to be babysat by SpongeBob because, you know, that's what I would do if I knew SpongeBob. So maybe in great I would reverence. definitely trust him. In great reverence to SpongeBob, Jonathan's son will come back and um, be dating one of the campers. We'll see. Maybe. I'm very pleased that the Swan Census went as well as it did. I, I was afraid <laughs> that that would be a whole thing. I, I'm glad that, uh, you know, BMO or whatever yeah. <laughs> that strawberry person's name was, was Short able cake. to, yes, was able to, uh, you know, bring themselves to the realization that they uh, could could do their job. I I think it was only, you know, one fluke with their inability to, you know, convince the king <laughs> that they could do things. They could command people. If all you need to do is take the swan census, why do you need to be able to tell people what to do? Like, shouldn't he have tested him on his photography skills and his swan speaking ability? Right. Which, you know, he would have got the job if the if the king had just tested him correctly. I thought that the little story was great, but also it's great that <laughs> the lives of these creatures are so trivial on, on this planet you know they're working in the strawberry mines and maybe they find a job but it all doesn't really go anywhere which is great which is also how i felt about well actually it does go somewhere with our episode two the the little jesters the floorboard jesters yeah because they do they do come together as a family at the end but it's hilarious how they roped themselves into their own situation and the king was pretty neutral didn't care at all <laughs> yeah, that that one was another random one. It's like, okay, you guys go back home. And then the hedgehog's <laughs> like, actually, they don't want to. And the king's like, oh, okay, they don't have to. Right, Summer Camp Island. Anyway. Summer Camp Island had, at least in that episode, nothing to say about royalty. <laughs> no, there's nothing bad to say there. Maybe in episode three, maybe. They teased the king as a tyrant, but they saved that one for the third episode. But before we get there, so first of all, just random notes. I do like that Oscar has solidified <laughs> what his status with Susie is, as she is his favorite best frenemy. <laughs> Worst favorite best frenemy. It's a good clarification. It's, it reminded me of after Finn learns about 
Simon, and then he calls him Simon much more. I'm interested to see how yeah. uh, how their relationship has changed, Hedgehog and Oscar's relationship has changed with Susie, if it if it will at all in the future. Especially since, much like the Ice King, Susie doesn't know that they know about her past. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm I'm still not convinced that the story Jim Jams gave them was 100% accurate. I don't think it's as bad as Garnet's retelling of Rose Quartz, though. I don't, I mean, maybe there could be some details messed up, but I don't know. I, I trust Jim Jams as a reliable narrator. Okay, to be fair to Garnet, like, that was the story as the Crystal Gems always told it. Like, if you had stopped any any Crystal Gem during the Rebellion, that, that would have been the story they would have told you. Well, Jim Jams was an eyewitness for a lot of it. I guess some of it would have had to have been told to him by either Ramona or Susie. And I'm guessing Susie wouldn't have story told much. We got the background detail in the third episode of the Susie-Ramona arc that the aliens were already building the camper cabins, but they didn't even get the idea to build a summer camp until much, much later. Yeah, what is it about the space-age cabins? So, okay... We we learned that in the third episode about the this salt taffy agreement that Susie has had ongoing for quite a while with this kingdom because she asked them to build cabins. We've never seen anything about the cabins that are special, right? Well, the the aliens have special alien. They like have alien bunk beds in them, you know, just in case they need to chill there. It's just a little thing they've slipped in there that, you know, eventually we're going to get some episode where all these houses go and fly somewhere. or I don't even know what. I have no idea how it could contribute to the mission of magic. But yeah, like you said, they came up with the plan to do a summer camp really quickly. Or like, they executed on it very quickly. Yeah. Once they, once they decided that they were going to do it, they just started inviting kids. So there really wouldn't have been... A lot of time, like, Susie would have already had to know about the aliens. Apparently, she doesn't need a car. She can just point her finger in the distance (laughs) and start walking and zoom between these planets in seconds. So maybe she did that and, you know, already knowing about them and their uh, propensity to like salt and sugar, you know, convince them to do a thing. But it's it's very weird. Yeah. So I don't don't know. On the one hand, I I would think that we should time the building of the cabins to after they knew they would need cabins but on the other hand they literally showed us the cabins being built decades before they knew there was going to be a summer camp so i mean susie has shown good business (laughs) sense in previous episodes Mm. so i cannot imagine that she would be paying interest on something she had no need for for that long you know i just don't know (laughs) i wasn't believing the word retcon (laughs) last week but now i'm feeling a little bit of that adventure time retcon whiplash of trying to piece together things that don't make sense together the only thing i can think is like uh, maybe maybe there's some backstory element that they've yet to reveal but something else that would also make sense is they needed to explain the aliens building the cabins but they realized when they were looking at their episode four script that they liked what the script looked like but they also had no time for the aliens to construct the cabins, so they had to put that in the background in <laughs> a previous episode. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I mean, ugh, all the all the shows that you just wish you could have been there at the writers' meetings for. Definitely, especially for this concept of the jesters being in the floorboards, which we kind of get hinted 
you know, what the spark for that idea was in the writer's room because Hedgehog, or well, I guess it's Oscar says, I always thought the squeaking in the floorboards was just loose floorboards. And Hedgehog <laughs> says, nope, jesters. I thought that was adorable. I love me a just so story. Yeah, I like that they came up with the idea of, it just seemed that that's what it was. You know, why do floorboards squeak? It's because jesters are hiding there and they fit it into this story about, you know, into this context of that they are there because of the king specifically. Not, you know, th- this story probably could have just as easily taken place inside the cabins or anywhere else on the island. But I do like the little designs, though, that they were able to pull off with these. Are, th- are they dogs? I don't know what they are, but <laughs> these eh. dogs with the little clown makeup on. They they bear a resemblance to kind of almost like the gremlins from the movie series. Hmm. But yeah, I think they're mostly dog-like more than anything else. I mean, a lot of the animals in Summer Camp Island remain ambiguous to me because they don't like, like, just look at the witches. Kind of cats. I mean, they have cat ears, but no tail. Susie's you know. a cat. And Alice is an elephant, and Betsy is a horse. We we see her in her oh, were- right. werewolf form. You're right. And she has she has much more horse-like characteristics in her werewolf form. I forget that elephants also don't have to have, like, trunks <laughs> in this show. Big trunks. Only if they're going swimming. That's right. Oh my gosh. Oh! I gotcha! You got me. Which episode of this... This batch, would you say you liked the best? Hmm. I like the ridiculousness of the second the most. I don't know if that meant it was the most minute-to-minute entertaining. Them going around and trying to collect this story. <laughs> that ultimately was a very small story. <laughs> like, they had, to, <laughs> they had to go to every jester and ask, you know, what happened in your room? And so all they have are, they walked in and then walked out. <laughs> or they just walked past me. You know, that was great in concept. So between the jesters and the way that the stories piece together and then the way that family unites, I think is great. I probably like the first episode the most in what it did with attraction. And I like the BMO voice (laughs) showing up again. I think the weirdest one to me was the direction of the salt thing, which ended up not having any like symbolic significance or significance for the characters. It just happens that king it's world building but how much world building is it i guess the salt taffy the salt taffy we get at the very beginning but the rest of it doesn't really matter right the fact that there's like little salt virus things that can take over you yeah there's a there's a plague of salt parasites out there david just just imagine what that does to the wider world it uh, 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 is the galaxy under the threat of salt is this like a galactic threat we're being introduced it doesn't harm magic. Maybe this is a commentary on the creeping of salt into our processed food. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I was like, is Jeezy about to say something like dramatic about our culture? Or is he just about to say that Americans eat too much sodium? <laughs> Which, yeah, sure. We eat Both too much at the sodium. same time, baby. But sugar is also a problem. <laughs> so, nope. yeah, I don't know. Variety is the spice of life. It's like Susie said. I mean, best counselor, obviously. For me, I think that the second one with the jesters was probably my favorite, but ooh, the that salt one, the second half was mm, good stuff. Very dramatic. I'll say my favorite my favorite joke probably out of all of them was in that episode because the concept of these aliens like 
are they advanced or not? But Puddle gets asked, you know, how how do you cure viruses? You know, you guys are advanced. Surely you figured this out. And they, and they just proceed to tell the, the stupidest anecdote about how their grandmother's brain freeze was cured by putting her next to the fire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, now, my favorite joke was also from that episode. But it was the the mechanics breaking Susie's car oh, and okay, then turning they their flip, hats around. Yeah, the way they flipped their hats around was amazing. Also, just like, you know, is that chaotic evil? That's lawful evil, I guess. He had his mission, which is he's going to make everybody watch his slideshow presentation. I mean, it's chaotic on the king's part, but it's lawful for them. I assume that they are lawful neutral, but the salt-infested king is being chaotic evil. I did like that the slideshow, it, it wasn't clear to me if it was a testament to King's love or a testament to his selfish side. You know, that just wants, you know, attention. Vacation slides are always selfish. Yeah, I guess there's really no context in which you can do that. I don't know how many... Vacation slide episodes you've seen, but in cartoons, people are never happy to watch them. It's always a self-indulgent exercise when somebody does that in a cartoon. Wait, what is another example of a famous vacation slide cartoon episode? I feel like I'm missing out on this genre. Uh, I can't remember the names of the episodes, but I know Garfield and Friends and Rugrats both had vacation slide episodes. The Rugrats one is famously the one where Boris makes a Dr. Kevorkian joke. He pulls out a phone and says, hello, Dr. Kevorkian. Hmm. So he's not having a good time. I think it might have been a running gag in Garfield, actually. I know they had at least one joke about how nobody likes watching vacation slides. I just feel like that's a specific experience that... Does that still exist? Do people take fo- photos yeah. on their phones and then come back from vacation and then... Actually, you know what? No, that is an experience because I've totally been... Well, I, I don't want to use the word subjective. I willingly <laughs> but watched... But you were subjective. But, but someone, you know, had a friend, went on something, a cruise, something ocean-related, and had their phone out and was like, all right, we're going to scroll through all the photos on my vacation. But I, I, I consented yeah, yeah. to that one. I or even showed interest, which is you know, could be a dangerous Oops. thing. Uh, yeah, the vacation slides is is like uh, like space camp. You don't see references to vacation slides or space camp in cartoons very often. So it it was just very nice to see space camp come up in the Steven Universe movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking it back to the old school, baby. I'm just thinking of that little salt parasite thing. As as soon as Oscar talks about what a great planet they live on. And he decides, oh, I'm going to go take over Oscar. And it's like, dude, you just were in the body of a king who could, with the snap of his fingers, turn this planet into a salty hellhole. What's Oscar going to do? Like, trip and fall until everything turns into salt? You're not not the brightest salt in the salt shaker. Salt crystal in the... Just say salt in the shaker. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, that. Not the the smartest sodium chloride in the... Sodium chloride, larger compound. Susie's the one you want. She's the one with the magic and the boyfriend. Don't forget. He's missing, but... If they in any way make Jonathan's reappearance a significant thing, uh, I will deeply appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you, you, you watch just next time they go into Susie's cabin, he's just going to be sitting there. 
<laughs> Menacingly. Maybe they can make it like... <laughs> yeah, maybe 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 they can make it like they were making out Susie be like, What? Go away, I'm busy! Or I'm, she would say we're. <laughs> she could easily have enchanted Jonathan, right? Like, almost anything comes mm. alive on Summer Camp Island. The fact that there is an inanimate thing <laughs> is is the great part. I mean, again, you you assume Jonathan is inanimate, but like Summer Camp Island is not the place you go to for inanimate things. So clearly, Absolutely. Jonathan's animate. So there you go. We have our sci-fi space trilogy, and one more. I guess I didn't realize we were getting these clumps of episodes. I when Susie and Ramona happened, I thought, oh, okay, this is a four-part special, but. We got this, and then I guess next week we get one more trilogy of episodes? Is that right, or are we just going back to normal um, errands? I think it's a quintology, or whatever your preferred five is. Pentology? We're getting five episodes together? Uh, yeah, according to the HBO Max press release. Holy crap. Is that also the conclusion of season three, or is that just the midpoint? Well, we only know about 12 episodes so far, so it's either the end of Season 3, or they have two more arcs planned and ready to go that they haven't hinted at. I mean, I I hope that they stick with a multiple of 20 for the season length. Yeah, I I find this approach interesting, especially like this trilogy was only loosely connected, so part of it feels influenced by HBO Max, but at the same time... It's just another fun exploration of how you can do formats. Because when you're not doing joint two-minute episodes, there's just so many things. You can do eight-part miniseries, you can do five-part miniseries, or, you know, why even set a specific episode length for yourself? <laughs> just keep doing whatever feels natural for the story, so... Yeah, have a three, a four, a five? Except, that's the thing. So, like, in Steven Bombs or in the Adventure Time miniseries, they were more committed to like a single story, and that's definitely what the Ramona and Susie arc was. This was a very loose collection. Like, it feels more like they had some ideas and they put them together. I mean, they were they were connected by place. Right, that's the thing. They decided, I guess, okay, we have a few adventure ideas that we have for, you know, that planet. So I guess putting them next to each other makes more sense than having to have, you know, Oscar and Hedgehog fly here three separate times. So I'll take it. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, Susie has to drive them over, pick them up. It's uh, it's just too much of a hassle. Get it all done at once. She's got a busy love life. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, guys, that's been us on the King and Puddle episodes. Join us next week. We should have five more episodes of Summer Camp Island to talk about. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. 